Hi, my name's Marcel. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm real grateful to be here tonight, and I want to thank Marge for asking me to come out, share my experience, strength, and hope, and I want to thank Mike, because Mike's been telling me about this meeting for a couple of years now, and I didn't get a chance, I never came until Marge really invited me, and I apologize for that, because <laughs> I don't live that far. You would think that I would come here more often. But uh, anyway, uh, my sobriety birthday is April 12, 1991, and I'm real thankful to God uh, that he saw fit to put together a program for myself, uh, because um, this program saved my life. It actually gave me a life. I'm originally from Compton, California. I am, I have two other siblings, I have two older brothers. My dad is a military air forceman. Uh, he's retired. And um, my parents came from Pennsylvania to, and my dad was in the service. So I have a brother from France. I have a brother that was born in Texas, and I was born in Sacramento, California. And um, it's just really weird because we just celebrated my dad's 80th birthday. And uh, June 23rd, we celebrated his birthday in California. And um, one of my cousins mentioned to me that my dad, out of the clear blue sky, told her, you all thought I was mean, didn't you? And she goes, yeah, Mr. Webb, you, you, are, you were mean. He says, but nobody ever knew that I was shell-shocked from the Vietnam War. And it was amazing when she told me that because my dad never told any of his children that. And... Uh, after 80 years, he, you know, he reveals that, you know. Um, I knew that something was wrong with my dad. Uh, when we grew up, I grew up in the 60s. Uh, my dad went to the Vietnam War. And at that time, we were next to Watts, California, where the Watts riot had broke out. And uh, so my mother was taking care of us, her, ch her three children, and my dad was over in the Vietnam War, and um, I remember us standing outside, watching up at the sky, and you could see the fires, the fires, you know, at that time, and it was, it was a real, um, it was a real scary time in our lives, you know, um, our dad away, and this riot's going on, and my mom had to raise, our, you know, raise us, and, um, but I remember when my dad came back, well, I was young when he left. I don't even remember when he left. He had, I had to be around five or something like that. And when he came back, I don't remember how old it was. I probably was about seven or eight. I don't know. I don't remember. But when he came back, he was a very different person. And I don't remember him before, but I don't remember anyone hollering at us very angry uh, type of individual. And him and my mom, I mean, my mother couldn't do anything right. She was a very beautiful woman. And he was, um, no matter where we went, when we would come home, they would argue. And he would go, I saw that man watching you. I saw that man looking at you. What were you doing? Why were you, you know, and he would argue with her and, we were little kids, and we would be looking at him like, oh, my God, who is this crazy person? Because he would argue and argue, and 
I remember Christmas trees being thrown out the door. He would get dr- he would drink and he prided himself on his liquor. He prided himself on his liquor so much that he would have bottles about this tall from the ground cuz you could go to the commissary and you could buy you know, back, you know, he, he was drinking Johnny, uh, Johnny Walker Red was his drink, and my mom drank uh, Cutty Saw. <laughs> you know, those days, that's a long time ago, huh? <laughs> and um, I remember the Christmas tree being thrown out the, out the front door. I remember when we would always sit down to eat dinner as a family. He would get so mad, he would take the table and just throw it, and all the food would go on the floor. And all of us kids would be sitting like this, like looking at it. And then we would look at my mom like, who is this person? And it just seemed to get progressively worse. And what I remember as being a little girl is I was the only girl, and he was very nice to me. And and I all of us I took the part of being the person that would go, Daddy, don't do that, Daddy, 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 don't, don't, Daddy, don't, don't get mad, Daddy. He goes, Go get me a glass of ice and go get me, go get my drink and go and I go, Okay, Daddy, I'll go get you I'll go get it and I'll come back and I go, Daddy, would you please be nice? Daddy be be nice, Daddy. Daddy be nice. And and that's how we lived up until I was 12 years old and my mother couldn't take anymore. You know, um, we would have part, my, I mean, he would always say stuff like, we live high off the hog. You know, we live high off the hog, you know. He would, get, and, and we did. We were a family that didn't want for anything. I mean, my dad, um, we had everything that a family could want uh, as far as material things were concerned. And, um, but he treated my brothers so badly. When he would get mad at them, he would just, he would shave their hair right down the middle. And that's how they would have to go to school and they were so humiliated. They were so humiliated. And, um, He just brought so much chaos and confusion into the household. But we loved him. We loved him, but his behavior was just... I remember him always, every every time that my mom and dad would go out, it it was this place called Golden Bird. It was Golden Bird Chicken. And every time anybody would go out in that neighborhood, you would stop at Golden Bird on the way home and eat. Because my dad, even though he drank, he made sure he ate. You know, he'd drink and he'd be drunk and he would eat his chicken and, you know, and he would wake me up and he goes, there's my star, come here, this is my superstar. And, and I go, what's the matter, daddy, daddy, why are you upset, Daddy? That's, that was my whole dialogue with him. And he would, he would do the reel-to-reel. Remember the reel-to-reels? And he'd play his music, and he'd go, dance for me. And i put on my go-go boots and dance. And I'm dancing. I just want to make him happy. You know, I want to make him happy. I wanted to see him happy. And um, that would last for a little while, and he would fall asleep. And then the next morning, 
he would, it would be something else again. And it always seemed like it would always, he would just go off at the time where it's time to eat. And my mother would just lose her appetite. And she was just, she would go to old Sam. She would just, you know. And um, till one day my brother had made a go-kart. And this was the final. I didn't know that our, our, our lives would change after this. My brother made a go-kart out of a, a lawnmower. Took a lawnmower motor and made a go-kart. And um, he was driving it down Compton Rosecrans Boulevard, which is a major street in Compton. And somehow that he didn't put it on right, and that thing flew off and cut his leg. And so all the kids in the neighborhood ran to go tell my mother and them. And this is how my dad would answer the door. What the fuck do you guys want? And they go, Mr. Webb, Mr. Webb, Douglas, Douglas is laying in the street bleeding. And he said, I don't give a shit. Shut the door. And my mother goes, he goes, my mother goes, I'm finna go get my baby. And my dad would go, no, you're not going to get him. And she goes, Sam Webb, I'm going to go get my son. He goes, you better not go get him. My mother says, I'm going to go get him. So she went and got him. And when she got back, my dad pitched a natural bone fit. My mother went in there and got the gun and she said you are going to leave. I'm taking this boy to the hospital because he said you can't even take him to the hospital. Now we're watching this as children. I mean, and this is my dad. And um, what happened was she pulled a gun on him and made him leave the house. And our whole lives changed after that. I was 12. One of my brothers was 14. The other one was 16. We're all like a year and a half apart. And life changed. Life changed. It was never the same again. It was bad when he was there, but, I mean, we were a family. It was bad and we were a family. Now it's bad and we're all scattered. My mom has to be the the male and the fem- the husband and the wife and the family. But my dad my dad never left us. He 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 left the house, but he never like left us. He made sure we were always taken care of. I would go spend the night over his house weekends and stuff like that. He was still with us, but inside we were all so scarred. We were so scarred. Our family is still scarred. And this happened, well, I'm going to tell you, count how old I am. <laughs> this happened, I mean, this happened in the 60s and 70s. And, and I could still see the scars. My mom's passed away, but my brothers, one of them is still very scarred. He doesn't have this disease um, of drinking or, you know, drinking. But he's still scarred. He's very scarred. And um, my other brother came into the fellowship, and I, I'm in the fellowship. Uh, but uh, what happened was, so now, you know, because my dad prided himself on his liquor, and my mother drank as well, but she didn't drink and act like him. But there was always liquor in our house, and we always had social gatherings. Always had social gatherings. And... Um, 
I, you know, started drinking. Uh, I took my first drink when I was about 15 years old. And, uh, and I like the effect that it made me have. Because I was real good at excluding myself from my family and going into my room because I was the only one that had my own room. My brothers shared a room. And I would just go into a fantasy land in my head. I was going to be this actress. And I loved musicals. And I loved theater. And I loved the, the Academy Awards. And I know what I want to be. I'm going to be an actress. And so I, I set out to do that. And um, back in the 70s, African Americans weren't very popular as they are more today uh, in that, in any field, really. But um, I, I was always too dark, wasn't light enough, wasn't tall enough, uh, wasn't skinny enough. And I come to realize that there's a possibility I'm not going to be what I thought I wanted to be in life. And I don't have a backup plan. I mean, I want to be an actress. I know what I want to be. Wasn't happening. Wasn't happening in Hollywood, not for me. And uh, I noticed that I would drink a little bit more. And now I'm introduced to marijuana. And, and I know that this is an AA meeting, but my truth is, is that um, I did other things as well. But I, am, I understand that uh, I am an alcoholic because um, everything started with a drink and ended with a drink. But the stuff in the middle was other stuff. It just was. It's my story. Um, now I'm, I'm rejected in my household with the family. My dad rejected all of us, I felt. And, and now I'm, life is rejecting me. Where do you fit into this world? I remember back in the 60s on our street, uh, we had whites, we had blacks, and we had African Americans. And the first time I, I remember them calling, you nigga, I'm like, well, what is that? Those were some of the issues that we dealt with growing up in that era. And so there was no peace in the house. There was no peace outside of the house. And there did not look like a future for me in what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I continued to drink uh, with the pain of what is this life about? I mean, I couldn't understand what it was. What was, what was really going on in my life? Is this can't be life because on Leave It to Beaver, it wasn't like that. Why can't, why isn't our house like that? I know, I mean, those were the, those Bewitch and all those, and those were the, they weren't fighting on TV, but in our house. So I'm like, well, I want to be in that household. I want, to, I want to live like that. How come we can't live like that? So I live like that in my head, and I disconnected emotionally from my family. And my brothers and them always told me that you really were, weren't, you know, mom and dad's kid anyway because, you know, look at your facial structure. You don't look like any of us. 
And I believed him. I went, I don't, huh? I knew I wasn't a part of this family. Yay! I wonder where's my real family at. (laughs) So anyway, so I had those issues too. Like, maybe I'm not a part of this family. I don't look like my mom. She was real pretty. I'm like, I don't look like her. I'm short. I was stocky as a kid. She looked like a Barbie doll. She was just black and real pretty. Looked like black Barbie doll. Uh-huh. I was short and fat. I didn't look like her. I didn't look like my dad. I didn't look like my brothers. So I started believing what my head started telling me. You don't fit in anywhere. You don't fit in. You you're not good enough and you don't fit in. So now I'm in high school. I'm drinking on the way to school and I'm drinking in the senior square and I'm smoking, smoking and doing other stuff. And I go to school, but I don't go to class. And everybody, and I still go to my class reunions, you guys. I just went to a class reunion, and they like, girl, you still look good. And they thought they they think of me totally different than I thought about myself. I always thought I was this loser, and they didn't. Nobody at school thought that. I thought I was this ugly person, and nobody at school thought that. They thought I was popular. They wanted to. They go, we always liked you. We, and I'm like, y'all like me. I'm like, I don't even remember you guys. I was in the senior square again. They weren't in the senior square. That was kind of, you know, it, my life was always like that. Get out of high school, and I start doing other stuff. Realizing that my life is going nowhere. I didn't want to take a real job because I wanted to be an actress, and by this time I got an agent. But every time I went on a, on a, on a, a casting uh, call, they said, you're too dark. You're, you don't fit into what we're looking for. And the more they said that, the more I got loaded, the more I got loaded. So by the time I graduated from college, I was loaded the day I graduated. I'll never forget. You should see my picture. I was like this. To make a long story short, all of that just led up into the age. I didn't come into these rooms until I was 33 years old, trying to find my way, trying to find out why did my life have to be like that? And consequently, all of that, what that did was I I became very fearful of everything and everybody because evidently I wasn't worth anything because you guys, people told me that, you don't fit into this category and you don't fit into that category. And then I didn't fit into my family and my family told me, my brothers and them told me I didn't fit in there. So, I mean, you know, so then I started doing what we do good. I started doing geographics. I moved to New York City. I'm going to be an actress. I'm still not giving up on my acting stuff. I'll go on stage. So I moved to New York only to take my... My, my disease of alcoholism with me. I go to New York. I stay there for a while. I start finding people that do what I do. I didn't stay there long enough. Um, I put in a, out a lot of app, uh, resumes and pictures and stuff like that. And, 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 and my boyfriend at the time, of course, was an older gentleman. Uh, and he told me, if you come back to California, I'll buy you a car and I'll do this. Because what I had learned was, 
throughout my pain, I, I, I learned that maybe if I hurt you before you hurt me, it'll be okay. So I went on a mission to hurt people, but not like literally, but I'm going to do you before you do me because what I'm learning here in this game of life is you got to do them before they do you, Marcel. That's how it works. That's the way of life. So that's what I started doing. Didn't work. Every time I would hurt somebody, I would hurt me worse. Every time I would hurt somebody, I hurt me worse. That wasn't working out either. So, okay, well, then I came back to California. That wasn't working out. So I left and went, and, and I lived in Washington, D.C. Found people that did what I did. Still wasn't working out for me. Come back home to, to, to um, California, and then the disease just really rapidly just took me down. I found myself in jail for stealing to try to get more to feed my disease. Once that happened, what I started to realize is that there's a possibility that I have a problem, but I don't know what it is. I think it's just bad luck. I think this is just a case of bad luck. You just need some, you need, you need some good luck. You got bad luck. So I changed my, you know, I'm still doing what I'm doing, but I'm trying to get some better kind of people. That didn't work. The guy that I ended up dating, I met on uh, the movie with Eddie Murphy, uh, Coming to America. That is what brought me into these rooms. What happened was I met a guy on the set of Coming to America. I thought that this is it, this, you know, we started using together and drinking and drugging. I got in trouble, went to jail. He left and went out of town. Never seen him again. And then my disease took off even more until my mom came in one day and said, you know what, you really got a problem and you need to, you need to go get help. By this time, my brother had already came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he said, you might want to check out these meetings. And I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with me. Y you know, it's you, Eric. It's you. I mean, you ain't got no backbone. You had to go get some help for that stuff? I could stop when I want to. So I did that a little bit more. Until one day, my last run was April the 12th, 1991, and I never forget it. I did things that day that I thought I would never do in my entire life. And it was that day that um, somebody told me, if you really, really want some help, Marcel, you need to call out to God and he will help you. Well, this was my stepsister who got loaded. I'm like, how's she going to know what I'm doing? But I was so, so downtrodden and so spiritually bankrupt that I heard her say, if I called out to God, that he would help me. And that day, I called out to God. And immediately... 
Okay, I called out to God. It must have been about 4.30 in the afternoon. By 5.30, o'clock, on a Friday night, all of our family would always meet, and we would have fish fries and play cards and stuff like that, and we would always meet at my mother's house. That day, after I had prayed... What happened was, it's something that just, mad, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it to this day after 21 years later. But what happened was, I had did so much drinking and drugging that day. But when I called out and asked God to help me, I tried to lay down, but everybody started coming over. And my brother came into the room and he had his little daughter in his hand. And she was six months old. And he set her on the bed. Now, I'm laying here, and he sets my niece here. And that little baby looked at me like this. And I heard a voice come from her that said, You don't ever have to worry again. I'm here. You'll never get loaded again. And I jumped. And I said, Eric, did you hear that? And my brother looked at me. I said, did you hear that voice? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And that little baby just kept doing like this. And she did her arm like this. Now, a lot of people would say, yeah, well, all the drugs you used probably did hear some stuff. <laughs> you, you probably heard a lot of stuff. <laughs> but it's not true. Immediately, I was sober. And I had been out on a run for a couple of days. I was sober. I wasn't panicking in my spirit anymore. I felt like a totally new person. And I went, Eric, you didn't hear your baby say something? He goes, no. I said, Eric, I heard the voice of God then. And my brother hugged me. He believed me. He, I don't know why he believed me, but he believed me. And I hugged him. I went out and I enjoyed the family. But my mother had told me that the night before, if you ever come back like you, you know, doing that stuff, you can't live here. But somebody had invited me to a woman's conference. It's called the Miracle of Women. It's, uh, you know about that? They had invited me to the Miracle of Women's Conference. And I said, Ma, I know I've been messing up. I know, but I think this time I got it. I think I, this time I got it. It's this conference these women invited me to. Please let me just go there. Please. I think it's, I think. And she said, you know what, Marcel? I'm so tired of watching you kill yourself. But I'm going to let you go. I went to that conference. <clears throat> let me tell you what happened. It was a setup. God was setting me up. I went to that conference and I sat down. And one of the ladies looked over at me and said hi. And I said hi. And then I went to the bathroom to wash my hands. And that lady was in the restroom. And she, she said, oh, how much time do you have? And I said, what do you mean how much time do I have? <laughs> she said, how, how long have you been sober? I said, I haven't been. I mean, just last night, you know, yesterday I, I drank. But, but I was invited to this event, and she hugged me. Well, nobody was hugging me and happy with me. And when she hugged me, I didn't know what she was hugging me for. So she went, oh, I hope you enjoyed 
the event and she went and sat back down. When I went to sit back down, I was sitting next to her. So they started doing this countdown thing of how much time people have in the rooms. So one lady had 30-something years, and I'm going, 30-something years. I said, that can't be right. How could somebody have 30-something years of not drinking? So they started counting down, counting down, counting down. And then I realized what they were doing, that they were getting closer to, like, like today. So I turned to that lady and I said, are they going to go down, like, to now? Like, like who, like, like today? And she goes, yeah. And my heart started beating. My heart started beating. My palms, my hands were sweating because I'm like, oh, my God. I got to get up in front of all these people and tell these people that I'm the one, like, like you guys are saying, like, I'm the one that don't have no time, like, and I got to tell everybody. Now, what I didn't tell you was I had went to an AA meeting prior to that, and somebody invited me to the conference, and what happened was I started going to the AA meeting, and when they would say, is there anybody here in their first 30 days that like to get a newcomer chips, or I would never get it. I didn't, I wasn't following directions. I didn't know that was really directions, but I didn't want the chip because I wasn't quite buying into the, whatever this is. So I didn't take the chip. So people thought that because I would come to the meeting every now and then that maybe I had some kind of time. And I didn't want these people to know that I didn't really have any time. So when they kept going down to a month, I'm going, they're going to go to, to like a week and a day? And that lady said, yeah. And she says, what's the matter? I said, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get up. She said, you don't have to. I go, oh, God. She says, but I would if I were you. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, if I were you, I would get up and I said, I can't get up. She says, I tell you what, if you want to, I'll stand up with you. And they was down to one day. And it was like, what are you going to do, Marcel? The time, the time, it was clicking, you know, the time is clicking. Do I get up? Do I, do I stand up and go, my name is Marcel and I'm an alcoholic? Or do I just, this lady's looking at me like, what are you going to do? And I'm like... And for somehow, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. He just stood my little black ass up. And I went, my name is Marcel and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody went, yeah, keep coming back. Keep coming back. And then they all rushed to me and they wrapped this this sheet around me and I'm and they took me from the chair all the way up to the up to the stage and they were taking pictures and I was like paparazzi don't like I don't know what they're doing I'm like what in the world is and what I found out was that they said you got this sheet and you got to come back and bring it back next year and I'm going okay I'm like okay I don't know what I'm doing and so I had to drive home, and I don't even remember driving home. All I remember is I got home, 
But I don't remember driving home, and that began my recovery. And I was scared because the only thing that I knew is everybody was like, you got to come back next year and bring the, bring, the, bring the sheet. And so the disease said, damn, why did you stand up? Why did you do that? Now you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't drink anymore. You got to bring that sheet back. And, then the, and I remember the disease saying, you're going to stay sober for a year, but then you're going to take that sheet back and we can still back, we can drink again. And that scared the hell out of me. So I took a commitment. I went to a meeting and took a commitment. And that first 30 days, I was doing whatever it took because I was so afraid of what was, what was happening up here. Because what was happening up here is that they started telling me that the, the, the disease was centered in my mind. And so what my mind was telling me was that we're going to drink again. And I'm going, I don't really want to drink anymore. And as the days kept going by and I wasn't drinking, life started, was getting better. But this disease said, yeah, but you got to take that thing back and you're going to drink after that. And I'm like, I don't want to drink after that. I want, to, I want this, I want whatever this is that they're talking about. And so I commenced to doing the work. But I would love to tell you that that lasted for a long time. I didn't get loaded, but I do have to tell you, and this is the interesting part of the story. At 18 years of sobriety, and with the husband that I'm married to now, I wanted to kill him. What I found out is that I was not a, what you would call a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would just drop in at Alcoholics Anonymous, meaning that I didn't do all three parts of this program. I would just go to meetings, but I wasn't doing the steps. I was stuck on my fourth step for 18 years. I was stuck on my fourth step for 18 years. I would go to the picnics. I would go to the dances. I would go to the conventions. I would go to Palm Springs. I would do all that stuff. But what you see in this book, and it looks like, because I said it's 21 years old, all of this happened in the last three years. Because at 18 years of sobriety and my husband bringing me out here and me having, I still had all the resentments. All I was, was I wasn't a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was what people called a dry drunk. I wasn't doing any steps. But what I did do is because I love God so much I love going to church. I can quote scriptures. I know Bible. I'm a Bible person. When I had 18 years of sobriety, right here in Hopeville, because I was attending that church, they gave me my minister's license. Little did I know, even with a ministry license and loving the Bible and loving God and all that stuff, because I had not did any house cleaning, cleaning the fourth step and all the rest of the steps, with a ministry license, I wanted to kill my husband. My mind was telling me the same thing it was telling me when I told you I left that conference and that you're going to you know, bring the sheet back, but we're going to still drink. Every day my mind was telling me, and my husband would go, we live out here and you need to have a gun. And I'm going, no, we, I don't need to have a gun. I don't need to have a gun. Because he didn't know I wanted to use it on him. So I didn't want him to teach me how to use that gun. 
because my mind, and I'm going to, now I'm going to meetings again, and I go to a meeting, and this guy goes, hey, Marcel, how you doing? And I start crying, because I used to go everywhere and cry in the parking lot with 18 years of sobriety, with no alcohol in my system, but I was not joyous, happy, and free. When the guy asked me how I was doing, and I started crying, he said, what's the matter? And I I just couldn't stop crying. He goes, Marcel, what step are you on? And I went, I'm not on a step. He goes, it sounds like you're blocked from the sunlight of the spirit. He says, I tell you what, you got a big book? I said, yeah. He says, get your big book, meet me at, and he would tell me where to meet him. And he commenced to take me through the steps. He took me to Australia Mountain, and we did the third. We went back over. We started at the third step. I had truly did the first and second step. That was clear. The third, fourth, fifth, and all the rest of them, I had not really done. I had did a third step, I thought. But it wasn't until three years ago that he took me to Australia Mountain, and we got on our knees, and we turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. And it wasn't until then that I started to get some peace. And what that did was it, it allowed me to go ahead and do the fourth step. And then I did the fifth step. Now I'm on my way. I did the sixth step. I did the seventh step. I did the eighth step, the ninth step. And I didn't want to kill my husband no more. I wasn't crying anymore. For the first time, I didn't have to run my life anymore. And I found out that I was dominated by everything and everybody and all that stuff I told you guys was when I was little girl and my dad and all that stuff and I let it go. It was no longer there. It was no longer dominating me. I didn't care if I was black and beautiful. I didn't care if you didn't want to be, I couldn't be an actress. I just wanted to be free. All of that stuff was gone. I got power. I was restored to sanity. I was joyous, happy, and free. My life was just took off. I am such a believer of these steps. This came from working with other women. I, that's all I do. I do not work a job. I take people through this book. I believe in this because this kept me out of Perryville. Because I sure was going to go. That's, I was so afraid I was going to Perryville because, and my husband was, don't get me wrong, a wonderful man. He just wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. Every time I would give him the script, he wouldn't read it. If you just follow the script, Kelvin followed the script, and he wasn't following the script, so he needed to die. He needed to die because he's making my life miserable. I would love to tell you that my husband and I are in the same household. We're not. Um, after I made amends to him, we stayed together up until October of last year, and he decided to he needed to go on. Um, I was doing my steps again uh, at twenty. I had twenty years at that time, and I was doing my steps again when he decided he wasn't going to live with me anymore and he had another address or whatever, and I didn't fall apart. I didn't fall apart. 
I remember when it was happening, I, didn't, I knew exactly what to do because what I was told was, Marcel, don't do anything until you do these steps. Do the steps and you will know what to do. That my job is to do the work, God's job is the results. And that's exactly what I did. When I told my husband he needed to leave, I picked up the phone and I called my sponsor and I said, the day finally happened. Because I, I knew it was coming. I just didn't know when. And when it came, she told me, whatever you do, Marcel, do it with grace and dignity. I said, I got it. I hung up the phone. I didn't have, we didn't have to call the police. I let him get his stuff. And ever since that day, my life has still been joyous, happy, and free. Do I want to be divorced? Or we're not divorced. Do I want to be separated? No. But I don't want what I had. And I truly believe that had I done my steps before I got married, that wouldn't be my second marriage. In fact, had I did my steps before my first marriage, I wouldn't have married him, nor would I have married him. Nothing to say about them. It's not them. What I found out is that it was me. It was me. It was me. I was still dominated by people, places, and things. And had I did the steps, I wouldn't have screwed up their lives. Because they truly... It, it, was, it, it was my fault. I, you know, I had to look at my part in it. And even though my husband, you know, is with someone else, I don't take responsibility for that. I take responsibility for the part I played in this marriage. So if you're new and if you're in these rooms, take it from me. The only reason I probably didn't get loaded and drink it's because even though I wasn't doing the steps in, in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says that we have to enlarge on our spiritual maintenance. And I was doing that because, remember, I got my minister's license. <laughs> but what I didn't do was house cleaning. I didn't clean house. I could have saved myself a lot of heartache had I followed the steps that was outlined in this book back in 1991 because I didn't get married until I was I got married the first time in 1995 and then I got married the second time in 2006 I know had I done those steps I wouldn't have married neither one of those people and I love them but I probably wouldn't have married them if you're new, do the steps. You'll save yourself some heartache, and you'll save some other people some heartache as well. I'm going to keep coming back. Thanks for allowing me to share.